Hello, and thank you for joining us for the Hatchbend Apostolic Church web broadcast. In our society today, some, and yes, sadly, maybe even most, question the value of preaching in their lives. But we still believe what Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. In essence, Paul preached that God has chosen the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. And so that's why we still place such a high value on the preached word of God in agreement to the scripture. And so now I'd like to thank you again for joining us for a message from our pastor at Hatchbend Apostolic Church. just felt a unique um, a unique presence of the Lord in my own heart about the service and uh, I'm always excited to be in the house of the Lord and always feel privileged to be able to preach his word and teach but I just felt like the Lord today and just almost in the way if I could just draw it in a in your mind a funnel I just felt like the Lord began to lay something on my heart at the beginning of the week and just over the last few days, it has just filtered down into, I almost thought I was going to be late for church. And uh, just as the Lord just began to just press something in, into a fine focus. And so I want you to make the journey with me tonight. Amen. And uh, I hope you got all your naps out of your system. And amen. Let's just take a journey because I really believe the Lord is going to take us to something tonight. And uh, so let's just pray and ask the Lord to to minister the word to our heart. I love you today and I thank you for the privilege that you've given me tonight to be able to speak one more time. And I pray for the holy anointing God that can only come from you to stand with me. Your word is holy, it is righteous, it is anointed, it is forever settled in heaven. And so tonight what is in question is not the validity of your word but what we're praying about tonight God are the vessels and I pray that you would anoint me as a vessel to deliver your word and receive your word. And I pray tonight, God, for every person in this building and whoever may hear this message in time to come. God, let our hearts be prepared to hear your word and receive it into our spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. And you can be seated. I want to spend a little time in the book of Esther tonight. And um, that's page 356 if you own the same Bible that I have. And uh, we're going to just talk about uh, the life of a very uh, fascinating, a very fascinating uh, lady, a very fascinating story. She has um, more than a casual, honorable mention in Scripture, but actually a book that bears her name. And I think that she is a lady who who bears uh, and illustrates, I think, uh, almost in perfect balance, both the strengths and the weaknesses of being in the purpose of God. Because we can see her on the throne, and we can praise her for her majestic position, but we can also see her in fear of her life. And, uh, and, and then all points in between. And uh, I, I certainly will not be able to touch on every little aspect of her life. But I do want to consider uh, both the courage and the concerns that she has in her life. 
I want to I want to choose or I have chosen for a topic tonight God's timing God's timing and I, I hope that with the help of the Lord we can kind of just pull all of this together into a central thought I think it's fair to say that um, most everyone that I've ever met serving the Lord desires to be used of him in some capacity not to just you know fulfill a place on a pew or something of that nature and uh, but I believe that in the heart of the most meek and mild-mannered person they truly desire on some level for the Lord to use them in whatever capacity that he feels necessary now I, I understand that everyone is not called to be an international evangelist and everyone is not called to be a missionary to some war-torn part of the world to take the gospel. But I believe that somewhere in the midst of all of that, we desire for the Lord to use us wherever we are. And so if the Lord would, will help me tonight and will help all of us, I want to talk about that the time that we spend in serving God, none of that time is time that has to be lost. But wherever we are in our journey with God, God can use us wherever we are, even if he is destined for us to do something different today. I'm not necessarily talking about in a different location, but differently, if God is going to use us differently in the future than what he is using us right now, we don't have to feel like we are just somehow put on hold and we're in a closet waiting to bloom or to be born or morph into whatever God is going to do in our life. I believe that part of what helps us grow into what God wants us to be is what we are doing today. Amen. And so to that end, I want to talk about the timing of God. There is generally, I think, most every case, a gap between the call of God in our life and the time it takes to get where God is leading us. I think the Lord can give birth to a desire in our heart and that, that birthing process may happen at an early age. It did in my life. And it happened in the, early on in the lives of many people. But no matter where it is that God presses something in, into your spirit, it's going to take a little time to get there. I've said many times to my wife, I, I, just, um, I just really hate the packing process. I said, I don't really mind being anywhere it's just going there that bugs me it's all the the process of getting there I wouldn't mind being there if I could just somehow blink my eyes and and be there but it's the journey and the process sometimes that goes into all of that and and uh, but it, it's very critical that we not get sidetracked in the process and miss what God is longing to give birth to in our lives because sometimes the Lord has to work on us and most often that is the case because we are an imperfect tool in his hand and so God sees what we can be. And so who, who was the cowardly man that was hiding behind the threshing floor and the Lord said, thou mighty man of valor. Because God wasn't seeing him in his weakened condition, but God was seeing him in his strengthened position. And so I'm thankful that the Lord has the ability to look uh, within us and look down the road and see down the road into our future, not where we are, what we are, 
but what we have the potential to become. And so what is important to understand is this, is, and it's just because you're not doing exactly now what you feel that God has called you to do, don't lose sight of what you're doing now. Because I taught a lot of Sunday school classes before I went full-time in the ministry. And that wasn't time that was lost, but God was teaching and training and showing. And, and um, um, the very first time I ever got invited to preach a camp meeting, a day service, I was thrilled beyond the telling. And then I got my assignment, and my subject was integrity to seven- to nine-year-old boys. And uh, I wilted like a flower in the June sun because seven to nine-year-old boys are not interested in very much, and they're sure not worried about integrity. And so I'm, I'm, not, sure, I'm not sure how that thought was born in some think tank, but uh, my, uh, my hip-hip hurrah for being invited to speak at a camp was soon wet when I found out my subject and my, and my audience, and it was a train wreck. I'll just go ahead and tell you in case you're wondering. It was an absolute train wreck. But if we only focus down the road, then we are destined to miss what God is doing here and now. I think what I'm about to say is probably more prevalent in men than women, but I don't want to make any assumptions tonight. But oftentimes on a trip, men can get really, really involved in the destination and forget about the journey. And just drive like they're like, like the town that we're going to is just going to just it's just going to evaporate off the map if we don't hurry up and get there. And we fail to miss those little turnoffs and the lookouts, and we fail to miss a lot of the beauty that is there. And so, what happens oftentimes is it's a wonderful thing to get off the interstate and on the little uh, narrow beaten uh, off the beaten path, and you see somewhere uh, the beauty that you would have never been able to experience otherwise. And so if we're not careful, we will miss in the here and now what God is really wanting to show and reveal because we're too focused on tomorrow. When the Jews, going back to our story tonight or to the book of Esther, when, when the Jews' very existence was threatened, Mordecai saw the danger ahead. He sent word to a lady who bears the name of this book, Esther. And although she was herself a Jew, she had been elevated to the position of the queen and she herself was living in the palace, of course. She receives word from Mordecai warning her of the imminent danger that not only was he facing, but all the Jews that were there in this Persian territory. And, and uh, she herself, of course, was in, in, uh, in possibly or potentially in trouble. And so Mordecai urges her. He said, we need you to go before the king and petition him on behalf of the Jews. But she became reluctant of that because this little request that seems only takes seconds to read this and, and uh, not much longer than to process that. But if you understand the culture of that day, this could cost her her life. So sensing her reluctance, Mordecai speaks up. And he challenges Esther with those eternal words that we always think about when we think about Esther. For who knoweth whether thou art come to the kingdom for such a time as this. That's a very, uh, I think, a very incredible wake-up call that Mordecai sent to Esther. Sometimes we can see the end and never really understand or appreciate the journey. Anyone that has ever done anything for God at all 
you have to realize this. And I, I'm not trying to be negative at all, but I do think we have to be real. I think anytime you see someone that is being used of God on any level and in any capacity, you can never or should never underestimate the long and arduous journey that they had to make to get where they are today. They didn't just, this didn't just happen. It didn't just happen overnight. For instance, today I was kind of uh, caught up in this train of thought, and so I, uh, I contacted our Global Missions Promotions Director, a man by the name of Brian Abernathy, and um, I asked Brother Abernathy, I said, I would like for you, if you can, if you have time, I want you to, to, uh, to get some things together for me if you can do it today. And I said, I want to know how long generally it takes from the time a person makes an application to start the missionary process to become a missionary the time frame from the moment they make application until they're in their field of labor as what is called a career missionary so he sent me back this information he said here are the steps and the and the timing and this is of course just in a nutshell and this could vary a little bit but I think you'll get the picture for a person to be uh, in the AIM program what Sister Chelsea did this summer most of the time they will spend as she did a couple of months but from 2 to 12 months in that process and this is an introduction to, to missions this is to let you know it's kind of a way to get your feet wet and, and uh, but there's a lot of responsibility uh, you have to raise your own budget whether you have that yourself or you solicit those funds from others but that process is from anywhere from 2 to 12 months and then you become an associate missionary. And you have to serve as an associate missionary generally anywhere from between one and two years. And then you can make the next step up, which is an intermediate missionary, and you have to serve as an intermediate missionary for four years. And then you can make application to upgrade from an immediate intermediate missionary to a career missionary. So just in that I can appreciate it if you didn't keep up with all that. But that's somewhere around six or seven years of the process there. Now, if you add to this six or seven years the time that it takes to raise your budget in between all of these intervals, for an aimer to, to an intermediate, I'm not sure how long, of course, it, it all varies from an aiming perspective, associates in mission, how long it takes you to raise that initial budget. But to go from there to an intermediate, it can take as much as two years. From an intermediate missionary, from there to an intermediate missionary, it takes another 18 months on average to raise your budget. And then to upgrade from a career, uh, upgrade to a career missionary, it takes you about another 18 months of travel just to raise your budget for that. And then as a career missionary, of course, we know that even a career missionary often comes back about every four to five years to the States to raise their budget again. And they will travel now, of course, on average of only nine months, thanks to Global, or I am, I am, um, I am Global. Thank you, I am Global. So now we have almost another six years. I'm not trying to bore you to tears, but this doesn't include now the years that that same person may have wrestled 
in their own heart and their mind about even being a missionary. This may be something they live with for years. And so now, I'm just trying to use an illustration to, to help you see that from the moment that you felt a tug to Zimbabwe until the moment that you are there as a career missionary, there's going to be a lot of hurdles. And if we just look at that and say, well, hey, I'm out right now. I don't even want to go through all that. And fail to appreciate what the Lord has taken you through and how God is going to use that person. I'm going to tell you, we've been just as blessed as a congregation. I get the difference between an aimer and a career missionary. I get the experience that walks to a pulpit. But I'll tell you, as a church, we've been as blessed by someone that is that is getting ready to go to the mission field. And in, in some fashion, we've been blessed just as much as a career missionary standing in this pulpit. My point is that they're not just marking time, but God is doing something in them and God is doing something through them. Amen. So I just wanted to use that as an illustration. Now, I, I, I'm, I'm thankful that, that we have un, an understanding that I have to wait until I get to Zimbabwe to be used of the Lord. No, no, no. God is going to use us mightily along the way. I will never forget several years ago, while we're in a missions mode of thinking, I'll never forget several years ago a man by the name of Carlton Jackson, and uh, they were missionaries to the Windward Island, and they were traveling. They weren't traveling sightseeing. They weren't traveling just to go make new friends and things of that nature, but they were really traveling on deputation to raise money so that they could go back to their to their calling and to their field and they were with us on a Sunday morning and the service just kind of blew out and the presence of the Lord began to move. And so I told Brother Jackson, I said, you know, I understand why you're here and so we want you to give your, your mission presentation. And he said, you know what? The most important thing that could happen has already happened and that is that God has moved in the lives of, of the people that were here. And as he began to exhort, he never even mentioned where they were going. He never mentioned what they were doing. And, and I'm thankful to have that caliber of people that are not just worried about themselves. Here was a man... My point is this, here is a man that understood it's not the destination, but it is the journey. And this today is just part of the journey. And so the Lord will take care of that. It touched my heart. I felt led of the Lord for us as a church to take them on as a missionary. And we did support them all the years that they were on the road, that they were on the field. And so you see, God has a way of pulling it all together and making it all make sense. Amen. So let's look back at our character tonight and it's not difficult to see that <coughs> Esther is living the life that only a few others could even dream of living. Absolutely dream of living. And there are elements of uh, a little bit of a fairy tale. There's a little bit of elements of that in this story. I mean, she comes from nothing and now she is the queen. But, but I believe what is at the heart of this is the fact that she had a divine destiny upon her life and God was going to elevate her but it wasn't altogether for her goodness although I think she was a very wonderful person but God was going to use her to save a nation she was going to be a tool in the hand of the Lord now the book of Esther is not a long book and if you have never read any of this and if you haven't read it in a while I want to just challenge you between now and Sunday to, to do that because it is a very very intriguing story and so God had, to, had designed Esther's future and so this new queen is going to have to accept the will of God for her life. She 
could have just accepted the blessings alone and said, well, boy, the Lord has really been good to me. She could have ignored the fact that God had strategically placed her in this position and if so, she would have failed in reaching her divine purpose. But not only did Esther have to submit to the Lord, but if you know the story, she also had to submit to Mordecai because Mordecai was her cousin. But because she had been orphaned, Mordecai adopted her and so Mordecai is her cousin slash father. I mean, they're kinfolk. And if you can abuse anybody, you can, it's kinfolk. So she didn't just have to submit to the Lord. She had to submit to her family. So since she was now the queen, all of a sudden his role had changed. He wasn't just a cousin and he wasn't a father, but she was, he was really just one of her subjects because she had control. She had power. She could have lost sight of what God was ultimately trying to do and ignored his request, but she maintained the spirit of humility that took her to where she was because God knew he could trust her and she made herself subject to Mordecai's commands. Now, I truly believe that God has a divine plan and destiny for all of us. Of course, there are times that that God's plans for ourselves may differ a little bit than where we see ourselves to the positive or to the negative in our own sight. I mean, this is where we have to put our faith in God and realize that, God, you just need to use me as you please. I mean, maybe you think you ought to be doing more or maybe you think you ought to be doing less, but we have to just submit ourselves to the will of God and say, Lord, you know exactly what you're doing and my life is in your hands. It should, I think, seem apparent that both Mordecai and Esther, being where they are, were truly strangers in the land, and yet God blessed them with favor. Amen, he really did. Esther was the queen, and Mordecai had risen himself to a place of prominence within the kingdom. However, in the rising of Mordecai, he made some enemies along the way, one in particular, a man by the name of Haman, because Mordecai refused to bow down to Haman, And so Haman starts this death plot that we are going to kill him and we're going to kill all the Jews. Amen. He was going to try to single-handedly spearhead the plan that would take all of their lives. And it was at this point that Mordecai appeals to Esther to intercede on their behalf. Now, we add to this another little twist in the plot, and that is the fact that Esther had not revealed her, had not revealed the, the fact that she was a Jew. And so, have you got this? I mean, you can't make this up. This is wonderful. So wisely, Mordecai had had commanded her, don't share your heritage. Don't share that with anybody. And in time, Esther was going to be faced with a decision that to reveal herself, and that was going to throw a lot of things on the line at one time. Amen. So she could reveal herself in this one crunch moment or remain quiet, let everybody suffer and die. And to some degree, I mentioned earlier that Esther would struggle with this decision. Now, we can just call her to question on that and we can throw under under the bus and we can talk about how weak she was or we can just put ourselves in her shoes. And somebody asks you to do something that could potentially cost you your life, I just believe if we have any gumption at all, we would want to think that through a little bit. And so here it was. She made it known that she was a Jew. 
And, and, and if I do that, then I might face death. But if I keep silent, then all of my people are going to die at the hand of Haman and the enemies. And so it's a strange thing when you read this story of Esther from beginning to end because one day Esther's just an ordinary girl and the next news you know, you just keep reading, she's the queen. An incredible story. Esther approached the opportunity to be queen with great humility. She submitted herself. She submitted herself to the king's attendant. Although there were, um, there were other other young women that were vying for the position uh, to be the new queen. Esther, the Bible says uh, that they, in, in, in verse number 15 of chapter 2, the Bible says that Esther obtained favor in the sight of all them that looked upon her. I, I'm going to tell you that I don't think that, that that is to say that Esther was the most beautiful woman in that group of ladies. I believe she was beautiful. But I believe it was the favor of God that was upon her life. And that is what made her beautiful in the sight of all those that looked upon her. Ultimately, she found favor in the eyes of the king and became the new queen. And so now life brought Esther to a place beyond her wildest imaginations. It's important to note again, I mentioned a moment ago, but let me just back up and say this, that, that Mordecai was her cousin and she was orphaned as a child. And so Mordecai adopted her. And it's sort of strange to see how later in life their roles reversed because she was watched after by Mordecai. She was directed by Mordecai. And now their roles have reversed. She is the queen, as I mentioned, and he is the subject. He had been her protector, and now Esther was going to be the one to protect him. Amen. Mordecai sent word to Esther, letting her know that, that, uh, that she might, just possibly be the solution to this dilemma. For who knoweth? For who knoweth? I mean, that sounds wild and it sounds risky. It sounds, pardon the illustration, but it sounds like that proverbial roll of the dice. Who knoweth? But God hath put you here where you are for such a time as this. So he asked her, I need you to appear before the king and I need you to do the unthinkable. I need you to A, reveal your true identity because we need to preserve the lie. If you don't, the lives of Jews and all of Persia is gonna be wiped out. And so we need you to step up. And all of her life, here is Esther that has obeyed Mordecai. All of her life, she has looked up to him in some fashion in whatever role he played in her life. But this request was somewhat different. This is a high risk game that we're involved in now. And so when she, or if she were to present herself to the king without being summoned, and the king would refuse to hold out his golden scepter as a sign that she was welcome in his presence, she would have been killed immediately. And so she knew the risks that were involved. But I would submit to you that Mordecai knew the risks that were involved. Amen. And so the king's refusal would mean instant death. And it was all going to be over, not just for her, but ultimately at this point, Haman would have no doubt won this battle. Amen. So I, I, I put myself in her shoes. I put myself in her skin. Amen. It is difficult sometimes to do what God 
God is calling on us to do. But I wonder in this case, we know the players. In this case, we know whose lives are on the line. But I wonder how many times that God has called on us to say something, do something, to act. And we had no idea how many lives were going to be affected positively by what God had called us to do. I think it's important to note verse 14 right here. I quoted a portion of that earlier, but I want us to look at this scripture in its entirety, and they're going to put it on the screen. Esther 4 and 14. The Bible says, For if thou altogether holdest thy peace at this time, this is Mordecai talking to Esther, then shall their enlargement and deliverance arise to the Jews from another place. Amen. Mordecai was so confident that if you will not step up to the plate, Esther, if you will not do what God has called you to do, I want you to understand, I believe he had such faith that God would call somebody else to step in, somebody else to stand, amen, and and arise from another place. He said, but thou and thy father's house shall be destroyed. And who knoweth whether thou art come to the kingdom for such a time as this. You know, here's the bottom line to the story line here. And that is this, that if we fail to do what God has called us to do, the kingdom's not going to stop. The work of God is not going to come to a screeching halt. Amen, I'm, I'm gonna tell you, I believe that with all of my heart, but God will just call somebody else and somebody else will step into that position, into that place. But I say, Lord, if you have brought me to this place in time, then help me not to be silent when I ought to be speaking or speaking when I ought to be silent because I wanna be sensitive to the timing of God. Amen. Now that's a pretty piercing statement. If you won't speak up, God will bring somebody else. God will raise up something else. But he said, you and your house will be lost. Amen. So Esther had to realize that God wasn't promoting her for her sake, but God had placed her in, a, in the palace for the preservation of a nation. So here it is. God's master plan hinging on one human being. She could have lost sight of the big picture. She could have felt like, you know, I've been through enough. I'm tired of fighting. I'm tired of the struggle. Amen. (laughs) But the young lady that Mordecai raised knew that obedience had brought her to where she was. It was obedience to the voice of her father, Mordecai. Amen. It, it, It was her submission to his voice that had taken her further than she could have ever dreamed. The humility that brought her to the palace still existed, thank God, within her. You know, we can, we can, spend, we can spend years of our lives trying to get ahead by building our own personal kingdoms and our own agenda and doing whatever we feel like we want to do and we can feel like that we deserve we, can, we deserve this because of all that I've been through. Amen. Maybe some feel like there's no need for me to step out by faith or maybe others feel like, you know, I've already been through enough. So I don't want to step out anymore. I'm tired of stretching myself beyond and past. But you see, the kingdom of God is not about us. <laughs> the kingdom of God extends way, way further 
than we could ever reach. And so we must get rid of the me first mentality. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. We have to get rid of the me first mindset and become kingdom minded. Now, I want to, and I'm not just saying this, but I do want to come in for a landing, but it's a little bit lengthy runway. But I want to try to bring all of this in focus because ultimately I've said all of this to say where we're going right now. We are certainly not privy to the innermost thoughts, the fears, or the dreams of Esther. She certainly walked a very, very unique path. I said multiple times tonight already, but she was orphaned at an early age, adopted by her cousin. She becomes a candidate for a queen. This in and of itself was a tremendous process. In Esther chapter 2, this is when the lady that had been queen was killed and you just need to read the book to find out the story. And there was a vacancy. And so the king called for young virgins to be brought before him. We need to really understand something, that this was not a parade. This was not just a parade of young ladies that came in the presence of the king paraded through the palace. They were first brought into the presence of a man by the name of Heg Ai, who was, according to the scripture in, in Esther chapter 2 and verse number 8, he was the keeper of the women. Now, don't, don't, don't hear that in a chauvinistic way, but this was his job. He was a, a gatekeeper of sorts. To be sure, if we're going to be picking the queen, there's got to be a vetting process. I mean, this is not a just anybody job. And so it was a very stringent process. As a matter of fact, when she got through that first level of the process, when she met those qualifications, then according to the scripture, the Bible says that she was given her things for purification. Esther 2 and 12, the Bible speaks of the 12 months of purification. Amen. You don't have this here, so I'm going to read it. Uh, when every man's maid's turn came to, into the king after she had been 12 months, according to the manner of the women, for so were the days of the purification accomplished, to wit, six months with oil of myrrh and six months with sweet odors and with other things for the purifying of the women. Six months with myrrh, six months with sweet odors and with other things for the purifying of of the women. Now that seems excessive. Twelve months. To cleanse yourself. Just to present yourself. To the king. So we could say well who does he think he is? How long could it possibly take to take a bath? But you see the. The purification process was not just about cleaning the outside. I want your rapt attention now. It was not just about cleaning the outside. It's important, I think, to note that these were no doubt some of the most beautiful women in the land. Amen. So what was the reasoning then behind this extreme process? I don't want to sound absurd at all, 
But I think that we have to remember that these women came from various backgrounds. And so this wasn't just about cleaning the outside. But there had to be a cleansing of the inside as well. I'm not trying to be insensitive at all. And and I've typed this out and erased it and reworded and reworded. and, And I hope I have it as well as I can put it. But I'm reaching for a spiritual application. So just stay with me. But often what a person eats affects their body odor. Because what's on the inside can be detected ultimately on the outside. In the case of a body, it may be perspiration or, or, or breath or something of that nature. And, and just, But just stay with me. But there are those who were perhaps given to a more coarse diet. And that would affect their ultimate body odor. By the same token, those that were given to a more pleasant diet would also affect their body odor. And for those of you who may have raised animals for the sake of of ultimately putting them in the freezer, you know this principle is true. That what you feed an animal is going to affect how that meat tastes. Because what's on the inside ultimately is going to be throughout. And so some of the things that sometimes we call delays, some of those times when we think that God has just forgotten all about what he had laid on our heart back when, it may just be God's way of purifying us from within. Amen. I want to be very careful in my analogy here, but you can have on the nicest cologne or the nicest perfume, but when you get under your when you get under pressure, your body is going to sweat, and what's on the inside is going to come on the outside. A few weeks ago, I was not here in another church, completely somewhere else, in, in another universe, and uh, a lady came up to me and she was saying some very nice things. And now I'm just making an assessment because I wasn't with her prior to this moment, but it appeared to me that she had an onion salad for for a lunch with a side of onion and an onion meringue for dessert or something. My eyes were watering. <laughs> because what's on the in, we're not talking about a hint of odor. What's on the inside is going to come on the outside. And when you get under pressure, what's in is going to come without. Amen. There are certain medications you can take that that change your body odor. I'm I'm not trying to be crass. I'm just trying to make a point. Six months of myrrh, six months of of these oils. What is all this about? Because the oils weren't topical. (laughs) But the oils were going to get inside and they were going to do a work. Amen. A little advertisement right here. That's what I'm doing. Just a little advertisement right here. The oils are going to get within and they're going to cleanse and they're going to purify. This is not something we're squirting on us that, to cover the odor. This is not something we're spraying on us to try to mask something else. Six months. Are you kidding? Another day, another week, another month? Yes. Because we got to cleanse what's within. Because when you're in the presence of the king, amen, it's got to be real. Can I tell you tonight that we don't need to just make 
make up our mind. I'm going to just, I'm going to do a few little external things to satisfy the pastor, to satisfy the church, or to satisfy this or satisfy that. We need to say, Lord, when nobody's looking, I want to be bathing myself in myrrh when nobody is around to pr- long before you elevate long before God elevates us to where we are destined to be we can understand that the Lord is going to take us through the purification process not just cleaning up this amen not just cleaning up this outside not just lining up to this or lining up to that but we need to pray and say God in your time in your time I ask you Lord to cleanse my heart and my mind because when I'm under pressure it's what's in me that's going to come out of me amen and so I say God help me to understand that your timing, you know what you're doing ultimately. You know what you're doing. Now maybe Esther wondered. I think she was human like you and I and so maybe she wondered why she had gone through everything in her life. I mean she lost her parents. Why? She's orphaned. Why? But you see God was strategically moving her as a pawn pardon me but as a pawn on the chessboard of life because God said one day one day you're going to be a voice. You're going to just say very little at the end of things. Amen. She's not up giving a 45 minute speech before the king when you weigh it all out. It's just going to be a few words, but it's going to be a few words that will save the remnant of a nation. And I say, God, help us to realize that when we are being summoned, when it is finally our time, we need to make sure that we have been in the presence of God because God's timing is perfect. And if we are smart, then we will let God's divine work be done in our lives. And if we are patient in the process, we will succeed. Is everybody listening? You see, God in this what we call delay, God may be trying to prevent our talent from taking us to where our character can't keep us. Because sometimes talent can take people to where their character can't hold them. And when they get under all kind of pressure that they never dreamed would come, the character is not there. And they crumble. But when it came time, it wasn't her wit it wasn't her wisdom it wasn't her looks when it came time what allowed her to have what it took to speak in the presence of the king unsummoned was what was on the inside I believe in external holiness I certainly believe in external holiness but if you just Do this. All you've got is a painted barn. All you've got is a dilapidated building that's hidden behind dead men's bones. But if we'll let God take us through the purification process, when it comes time to really stand, we'll stand and not crumble. I believe the Lord is speaking to somebody tonight. And so I, I, I'm going to end with this. Our musicians, you can just stay if you'd like. But, but God knows what he is working in us. And God knows what he's working out of us. 
in order to take us to where he has destined us. So it's a process. And I think in truth, life is a process. I don't think we'll ultimately get to one level and then I'm here. But I think when we get there, God is going to take us to another, to get us to another level, to another level, to another level. I was thinking about something today, and I'm going to ask you to stand and I'll close with these words. But many of you, or maybe some of you know, <clears throat> Cody and Christy Thompson uh, that pastor the church in Orange Park. Brother and Sister Thompson came to Florida just a little bit around camp meeting time was 20 years ago. They felt led of the Lord to start a church in Orange Park. And um, so they did. They moved from Texas. They went to Orange Park and uh, where there, there was no church. And they began having Bible studies. And then for a little while they were in a little strip mall rented building. And from one place to another, to another, to another. At one point, I, I, I texted him today to kind of update me on, I knew most of the details, but I wanted him to update me on, on them. And uh, at one point, for the period of four years, almost exactly, they were completely without a building in the process of all of this. For, um, I believe, the period of, of two years, they were without a building, and they um, bought a tent. And it was a, now it was a nice tent. And I, I'm not being funny, it was a nice tent. kind of had little plastic windows. And, but it was still a tent in Florida. And for 18 months, they had church in a tent. They hauled in all their chairs, all their music, and then they had to haul it all out. Every service, because it was just a tent. And they finally moved in their, into their current building in February of 2010. But it was still just a temporary thing. In the last couple of months, Brother Everett knows about this and maybe some others, but the Lord has just privileged them to be able to purchase a church building and it looks like they're just on the threshold of uh, they have a, actually have a closing date now of September the 17th and so it would be real easy to think well we've moved from Texas God ought to have us a cathedral with a nice big when we get there but I would venture to say that if Brother Thompson was here tonight he would say, I wouldn't take anything for the last 20 years. And so when they take purchase or take possession of this new building and get it remodeled just like they want it, and maybe all of us or at least some of us are there at their dedication service, I want you to know one thing. That didn't happen overnight. That didn't happen easily. But somebody was willing for the six months of myrrh and the six months of perfume. Again, Lord? Yes, again. Again? Yes, again. Because I got to get it in you. Because you're going to be under pressure and you can't crack under pressure. And if we don't really have it, I just feel the, the Holy Ghost tonight. 
Amen. And I pray that the Lord would touch us. I wonder if we just slip our hands up in our voices. Can we just make some noise here tonight in prayer? And Amen. Let God know we're not ashamed, Lord, to, to just let your spirit to have free reign and liberty in our heart and lives. And I pray, God, in the Holy Ghost that you would just let your word be settled tonight in our heart. And help us to realize the distance between the time we may feel the tug of our in our heart until we are actually doing what you have called us to do. There, there may be a gap there, Lord, but that's not a gap spent in a closet. That's not time shadow boxing. That's not time marching in place. But God, this is time where you are working in our life. And Lord, we are indeed, not only are you working in us, but we are working and you are using us as a vessel and, and we're being able to bless others and work and do God all in this process. You are working your spirit into our heart, into our lives. And I pray at the end of the day, God, that we can trust your timing and that you know exactly what you're doing. We love you today. We love you today. We love you today. Amen. Amen. I'm going to be very honest with you tonight. I feel like I've delivered my heart. Amen. I feel like the Lord has spoken what he would have to say here in this house tonight. And so it's with confidence that we're going to dismiss this service. And I'm just going to ask you this evening to let the word of God touch your heart. Don't just let it in when the lights are out. But let's remember that it's a process, a journey. But, but, but that's not marching in time. God can use us right now on our way to where we're going. Amen. May the Lord bless you. Greet one another, if you will, in Jesus' name. This message has been brought to you today by the media ministry of Hatchbend Apostolic Church. We pray that it's ministered to you in some way, and we'd like to take this opportunity to invite you to join us in service here at Hatchbend Apostolic. Our Sunday services begin at 10 a.m. and our Wednesday night service at 7.30 p.m. For any more information or to speak with our ministry staff, please feel free to call our church office at 386-935-2806 or you can visit the contact link here on our website. Again, thank you for listening and we pray God's richest blessings on you and your family.